Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, that show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we have our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians in studio today. We have layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Merritt Nemsky, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host. And we continue to make our way through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession Seeing what God teaches us in his holy word, of course, first and foremost, but then what we confess, what we agree with, uh, what we continue to teach and proclaim ourselves as faithful Christians to scripture. And we've been looking at for a few weeks now, confession and satisfaction, which flows out of the article on repentance and our response to the Roman Catholic Church on that. And I think we might actually wrap that up today. And uh, But a uh, lot to talk about. This is very central to the Reformation. And as we've talked in the last several weeks, still central to how we live our Christian faith today, that we have a right understanding of the, those things. I want to remind you that this is a interactive show. If you'd like to uh, call in or uh, write in, we have multiple ways you can reach us. You can call in at 1-800-730-2727. We also are on social media, at KFUO Radio, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, things like that. Uh, be glad to take uh, any things there. And uh, we also have email, which is KFUO at KFUO.org. And with that, let's go ahead and jump to our guest. How do you guys want to start us off today? Silence. Wow. Thanks, guys. <laughs> with radio silence, it's great <laughs> yeah. for radio. It's how we roll, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a little amped up because we have coffee in studio today, and I just definitely want to talk about this. Uh, I always want to talk about coffee. I can smell it. It smells fantastic. Someone sent us in. It does smell fantastic. This is most certainly brew is what it is. It's a Euro dark blend, bold and heavy. And that's how I'm feeling, pretty bold and heavy today. (laughs) You and me both, Sean. uh, (laughs) Let's get in on this. Uh, But as as a... Connoisseur of coffee. This is great coffee. Thank you uh, for sending it in. And indeed, uh, we are, I think, ready to jump in with paragraph 77 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Talk a little bit about how it is that, indeed, when God's law speaks, it shows us the will of God. And it calls us to repentance. But this idea that our that we can satisfy God's law, that we can do enough, just doesn't work in Holy Scripture. And so, uh, I think I'll just go ahead and read, starting at paragraph 77. We have already frequently testified that repentance should produce good fruit. These good fruit are what the commandments teach. Prayer, thanksgiving, the confession of the gospel, teaching the gospel, obeying parents and rulers, and being faithful to one's calling. We should not kill, not hold on to hatred, but we should be forgiving and give to the needy so far as we can according to our means. We should not commit sexual sins or adultery, but should hold in check, bridle and chastise the flesh, not for a repayment of eternal punishment, but so as not to obey the devil or offend the Holy Spirit. 
Likewise, we should speak the truth. These fruit have God's command and should be produced for the sake of God's glory and command. They have their rewards also. But Scripture does not teach that eternal punishments are only pardoned through the payment offered by certain traditions or by purgatory. Indulgences used to be pardoned for these public observances so that people should not be burdened excessively. But if, by human authority, satisfactions and punishments can be pardoned, this payment is not necessary by divine law. A divine law is not set aside by human authority. Further, since the custom is no longer used and bishops ignore it in silence, these pardons are not necessary. Yet the word indulgences remained. Satisfactions were understood, not referring to outward discipline, but referring to the payment of punishment. So indulgences were incorrectly understood to free souls from purgatory. But the keys have the power of binding and loosing only upon earth, not in purgatory, according to Matthew 16:19. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As we have said before, the keys do not have the power to impose penalties or to institute rites of worship, but only the command to forgive sins to those who are converted and to convict and excommunicate those who are unwilling to be converted. For just as to loose means to forgive sins, so to bind means not to forgive sins. Christ speaks of a spiritual kingdom, and God's command is that ministers of the gospel should absolve those who are converted according to 2 Corinthians 10.8, our authority which the Lord gave for building you up. Therefore, the reservation of cases is a secular affair. It is a reservation of canonical punishment. It is not a reservation of guilt before God in those who are truly converted. The adversaries judge rightly when they confess that in the matter of death, the reservation of cases should not hinder absolution. As I open us up with, I, I think that this article obviously is very connected to what was going on at the Reformation. And we've, we've talked about before how this flows forth from the article on repentance, which we covered for several weeks uh, before uh, covering this section of it on confession and satisfaction. How do we live the repentant life? And here they're talking about indulgences and these cases and so forth. Who, who wants to jump in and kind of re refresh our memory what we're talking about when we talk about these things? I think I will. Um, <laughs> So this idea of, of indulgences is really caused by the considerations that were taken for purgatory. That is the place where the effects of your sin and your sinfulness would be purged or, or burned or uh, purified away. These were seen because your sin has consequences, and those consequences couldn't all be paid or made up for in this earthly life, according to Roman Catholic tradition. And so indulgences were given as being a way that you could make a, an additional satisfaction and remove some of the effects of your sin. Some of these indulgences took the form of things that you could do. Say on a pilgrimage, you could uh, pray at a certain place or you could uh, fast on certain days and you could do things that would uh, lessen your time in purgatory 
or you could purchase a certificate of indulgence, and that would also lessen your time in purgatory. But all of this was done out of the goal of taking away some of the punishment that your sin deserved by making a satisfaction for it. And so this whole conversation about satisfaction has indulgences hanging in the background that you need to do something to make the consequences of your sin go away. Yeah, and you use the the language of punishment and and I guess I've come to understand this from some of my Roman Catholic friends that they don't necessarily view it as punishment as much as a continual purification that needs to go on. Now it could be a mincing of words yeah. kind of thing. But that's a helpful clarification. Thank yeah. you for that. And and so this this and you did cover that quite well in in covering what purgatory is is that it's this place of purification uh and so forth that uh prepares us for entrance into heaven. Um and we've talked about this several times too that really ultimately what this boils down to then is you know that what Christ did on the cross only began something instead of completed instead of finished something uh namely the removal of all of our sins all of our transgressions and that we are entirely purified in Christ in his sacrifice once for all sacrifice upon the cross and uh we talked to uh you know about how you know sometimes this idea that this was just back in the middle ages and so forth but uh actually this is still in Roman Catholic theology. Now, a lot of American Catholics, Roman Catholics, have been greatly influenced by American evangelicalism and so forth. And so just because you have a friend that may be a member of the Roman Catholic Church, they may not hold this theology themselves. We always have this problem in church bodies that not everybody agrees to what we actually say as a church that we believe. But it is still there. As a matter of fact, just a few years ago, there was the, if you followed the Pope on Twitter, it, it got you indulgences and so forth. And and, and so these this kind of idea per and things like that, purification is still a part of Roman Catholic theology. And we also see it in kind of subtle ways, as we've talked on previous shows as well, and, and other branches of Christianity. As a social media manager for the LCMS, I, I'm disappointed I don't have that kind of job security where I can offer you something for following us on Twitter. Man, we'd have a lot more followers if, if I could actually do that. You know, we'll forgive your sins in some way if you follow us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. That, that that is a genius way to get more followers on social media, though. Yeah, and, it, and it wait, seems... wait, wait! I just had a thought. Is that why they actually did that? Probably. <laughs> for, for a quick point of clarification, though, and I, I think this is uh, somewhat helpful. Uh, the the indulgences aren't the same as the absolution yeah. in, in Roman Catholic theology. Good point. And I, I want to be very clear that we aren't here in order to disparage our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, we, we want to put the best construction on this sure. and say, this is a, this is a idea and a doctrine that flows out of their piety. I have a hard time seeing it be supported in Holy Scripture, but it comes out of their piety that no one who is unholy can enter into God's holy presence. And I see where they're coming from, but I have a hard time with their, their scriptural defense of that. Yeah, the, the scriptural defense is is lacking, as we've said in past weeks, in that you end up having to say that Christ wasn't enough. I mean, Pastor Smith, you've you've already said that a little bit on today's show, and I think that's kind of what we end up doing with most of the apology as we're covering it, is there are so many areas where, look, our Roman brothers and sisters, we simply can't go that far with you on this issue, because to go 
that far down that road, we have to say that Jesus isn't enough. Uh, we have to say that Jesus isn't the center, that Jesus hasn't completed it all on m- most of the areas of disagreement. I mean, maybe I'm going out on a limb here a little bit, but most of the areas of disagreement boil down to, well, we actually look to Jesus for that, and we believe he actually is enough. And in this area, whatever that area may be, in this case, it's indulgences and satisfactions, you seem to be saying that Jesus isn't enough. And I'm I'm sorry, we simply can't do that along with you. Well, and that's that point about um, with the best of intentions, you know, like, well, uh, this is just the piety. This is how we're trying to live out the faith. But if it's not in Scripture, then it's a problem. If it's not actually pointing to Christ, then it's a problem. Um, regardless of the best of intentions, some horrible things happen with the best of intentions, you know. And so even if we can understand someone's perspective and, and uh, where they're coming at, coming from with what they're saying, um, it still doesn't answer whether it's right or wrong. We can We can certainly sit down and have a discussion and say, yeah, I understand why you're saying what you're saying, but Scripture doesn't support it. You know, and there's a big difference between just saying you're wrong and saying, hey, let's talk about this and understand what's going on with it. And maybe it's because I'm drinking this bold and heavy coffee that I'm maybe going to be a little more bold and heavy about this. But I think <laughs> it's a, a, a both and here. Uh, so in, in a charitable sense, putting the best construction on it. Yes, I think that there were probably several then and still today that have this this understanding and desire to live out in piety, a good Christian way to live, um, you know, that uh, that these good works should be following and evident in a Christian life. And, and we've certainly talked about that and there's a whole article yet coming up all about good works. And so we'll continue to talk about that uh, several times coming up as well. But I think that there's also definitely just because I know my own sinful nature and how this tends to come out sometimes too, there were definitely those who were seeking to manipulate uh, people. And uh, it's definitely able to be pointed to in history that there was a money-making scheme behind these indulgences as well i mean they were trying to build a beautiful uh you know cathedral and st so peter's forth. So, basilica yeah yeah so. if we're going to put a name on it yeah. speaking to the the theology uh this is not just an issue in the Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago, though. This is also something that we see today where people try to make satisfactions for their sins and try to make their good that they do uh, in order to rectify their sin outweigh the bad, because that way people can see that they're truly sorry, that they've had a life change. This is something that comes to people who have a pulse. And Christians are not immune from this temptation of trying to go ahead and live a better life now that they live in Christ to undo the damage of their sin. This is something that that is just as common in 2018 as it was in 1518. Do you also think that maybe it's a bit of a combination of issues and we're we're starting to see how the the apology much like the Augsburg confession itself does starts to draw these things together and we see how interconnected they are without a right definition of sin and how you are as a sinner um then then you maybe don't understand the the right uh connection in in this confession and satisfaction and that it's all in Christ and that um you know, so, so to put a greater point on it, if you identify sin as only specific things that I do, right, um, then then the natural human mind, fallen as it is under sin, 
will kind of go to things to say like, well, then I have to do something specific to make up for that specific sin. And, and, and so you start to have a, a misdiagnosis then of how I deal with the problem. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I would agree that it, that's one of two ways that you can go the way of I have to do something to make up for it or I can solve my problem by simply not doing that thing. Great. Now I'm fixed. Um, I wonder if, if some of Melanchthon's snark, as we're, as we're getting through this, you know, the, the apology goes longer and longer. I almost wonder if he's getting more and more tired and more snarky because some of his uh, uh, statements at the adversaries <laughs> last week, I remember in our reading, got really, really pointed. And it's almost like he's saying, look, what you're saying, we talked about this. Here's what sin is. Okay, if we've rightly defined that, you're never even going to go this far with where you're taking these things about satisfactions because we established a hundred pages ago or whenever it was that this this is how sin works. You can't fix your sin problem in this way. You can't make up for it in this way. Um, so the thought that popped into my head is maybe that's why he's losing his patience with them a little bit here. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's back when this group kind of originally formed and so forth, the uh, quite a long time ago, we were talking about sin and, and that big word that's come up a few times, concupiscence. Concupiscence. And, so and, and if you understand what they mean by that, that it's the, the flame to sin, kind of the spark to sin, right? Uh, and that this can be fought against. I think that this really does lead us into just a whole different kind of understanding of how we handle this, right? And so the the example that I kind of want to give here is if you identify, and I'm not a doctor, so any doctors out there, please forgive me for my misspeaking on this, but but if you identify in treating a cold, right, uh, you know, a, a sinus infection, for instance, by just the runny nose or the mucus that's going on there, right? And you just try to treat that. You're never going to treat the root problem, which is a virus, right? And again, if I'm misspeaking, I'm not a doctor and I apologize for all that. But as I understand it uh, in my layman understanding, you actually have to treat, treat the root problem. Uh, otherwise, you're just merely treating symptoms. And so I think it is connected in with the same issue of you got to get the right diagnosis and then it's going to lead to the right treatment, which then would also, again, connected issue. They maybe have a misunderstanding of what the gospel is, what it is that Jesus actually did, what he died for. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it continues to flow out into these good works and, and how you live in repentance and so forth, that you're just continually treating maybe symptoms of these things instead of actually treating the real issue, Lannisley. Well, well, I'm not a doctor, nor, nor do I play one on the radio, but I would imagine there's probably a, a, an, a, an example that a doctor could give us where treating a symptom with a particular medicine could actually make everything worse, too. You know, this drug works for this symptom over here, but if you're misdiagnosing what the actual sickness is, that drug for that symptom with the sickness the person actually has could make them worse. Coincidentally, I'm not a doctor either, but I'm going to make the case that this is really, uh, I am a little bit of an expert on nursery rhymes. This is the old lady who swallowed a fly. Uh, and <laughs> right because she swallows a fly and so then what does she do she goes on swallowing a whole bunch of other things in order to get rid of the fly and ends up and with we a still don't know why problem. she swallowed the and fly we still don't know why she swallowed the fly i think that pastor smith makes a really good point that by 
uh, when you misunderstand sin, then you end up with misunderstanding the consequences of sin, which leads you to indulgences. And so, as Melanchthon is speaking about indulgences, that's really not at the root of the concern. The root of the concern is that you are a sinner whose every inclination is to sin and is corrupted and defiled by sin. The only antidote to that isn't in indulgences, it isn't in absolution, it isn't in being truly contrite or sorry. The only solution to your sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is the antidote that he uh, brings to bear throughout the entire apology of the Augsburg Confession and the Augsburg Confession itself, because that is the only antidote to the sin problem. Indulgences can't fix it. Neither can being really sorry. All that can fix it is Jesus. And we've talked several times, too, about the different passages that are misquoted and pulled out of context and things like that. And I think in this section that we just read that you, you read for us, Pastor Ill, um, this is the, the talk of forgiving or uh, loosing and binding sins and so forth. If you have a, a misunderstanding at the beginning of the sins and the treatment and all of that else, then, then you misunderstand just a simple, clear passage. And, and so they use this passage. Uh, maybe we even talked about this passage on the show last week too. I can't remember now, but uh, you, you misunderstand this passage of that in order to loose sins, that that's a power that the church has, what, what we call the office of the keys, this power to forgive sins. And the right understanding of that is, no, we're merely confirming what is true in heaven and what Jesus himself has said. Anyone who is not repentant, his sins are bound around his neck and they'll drag him to hell, right? This, this is just uh, the nature of what is true because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, right? And to loose the sins, it's not like I, the pastor, have this power to do it. Uh, you know, I cannot be a jerk and just go out and say, well, I, I refuse to loose your sins until you give $100 to the church or something like that. It's not I can't magic. do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not. Well, and we've we've talked, you know, a technical term is mysticism, very, very present in Roman Catholic theology and so forth. This kind of magical understanding and so forth that that it's a power that we have. Um, that we can do. No, when a pastor does this, or the church broadly, as we follow Matthew 18 and so forth, um, uh, that uh, when we uh, practice excommunication, for instance, it's not being a jerk or anything. It's just confirming what is true. You're living unrepentant for this sin, uh, not acknowledging that you are a sinner. And so you are standing against God in this. And so we're just simply stating what is true in heaven. Uh, It's not this power that we hold for ourselves and execute at our will. And part of what Melanchthon does a really good job of articulating here is the power of the keys and the office of the keys pertains to forgiving sins and, if necessary, retaining sins. But it doesn't mean that the church or the pastor can go willy-nilly and simply insist because he likes it on worship rights or on matters of doctrine. The authority of the keys extends only to the forgiveness and retention of sins and can't be broadened from there. But that's the entire argument about indulgences came because the person in Roman Catholic theology who had all of the authority of the keys, that is the papacy, said, well, because I have the power of the keys, I can I can tell you uh, all about scripture and I can speak without error when I speak from, from the chair or ex cathedra. And 
the case is Melanchthon says, no, you can only forgive sins uh, with the office of the keys. You can only retain sins with the office of the keys. That's all it is. You don't get to go beyond that. I'm no doctor either. I felt <laughs> right, we've covered important. this. We're I'm all glad we've established Since that. Since I hadn't said it, I wanted to make sure there was no misunderstanding that I was the one doctor or something. But I'm no doctor. But it is, it is tough to deal with this sometimes because people have the impression that any time you call out sin or call someone to repentance, then you're automatically being mean. And I use the example all the time with my confirmands and other Bible studies and stuff that when a child goes to stick a fork in an electrical socket and you knock it out of the hand, you're not saying... I'm a meanie. You're trying to save their life. You're trying to call them out for what is, I mean, that's an example of almost doing something wrong, whereas we're talking about someone who has already sinned. But um, we're trying to share Christ's love with someone so that they know that there is forgiveness. But trying to point out that sin in the first place can be tough. And to, to point out to people that they know that you're not doing it to be mean, but because you love them, that you are pointing it out. And as a father of a young child, you know, and you're preparing yourself for this all of these wonderful things, right? Because oh. you know that your child is by nature a sinner. Oh, we talked at two yeah. weeks old, and we had a yeah. good talk that she's not going to have any kind yeah. of problems like that. Yeah, so no, she, she won't she's be she's definitely going finger. to make yeah. your life. But but be ready as a father, <laughs> as our heavenly father is, to bind and loose those sins as necessary. Right. But uh, exactly. especially to loose them as is good. <laughs> but uh, yes, on this, uh, I, I guess I will loose you to go to break. But I bind you to come right back after this. <laughs> Wait, whoa, we have that. <laughs> I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m. for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Reaching out in mercy and responding to human needs has been a key component of our life together in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And it's recognized service organizations like yours who work tirelessly to share the compassion of Christ to those who are suffering. LCEF appreciates your mission and understands the unique challenges ministries like yours face. We want to be a part of your great work of mercy and help you extend your reach. Visit us at lcef.org. Your smartphone takes you anywhere instantly. At a click, you can read, watch, or hear just about anything. Some websites are good, some are bad. Some sites truthful, and others are deceptive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear the truth of Jesus daily on Worldwide KFUO. Using today's smartphone technology, KFUO brings the gospel to you wherever you are. KFUO is just a click away, 24 hours a day. KFUO.org. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO.
championship golfer Ben Crane, known for being a slow player, often makes fun of himself, but it can be frustrating for some of his playing partners. At the 2005 Booz Allen Classic in North Carolina, his quick-paced partner, Rory Sabatini, hit his second shot into a pond beyond the green and walked in that direction before Crane played his second shot. Sabatini chipped his ball onto the green and putted out, leaving Crane behind along with his professional decorum. When an ABC Sports reporter asked Crane about the incident, he put the blame squarely on himself, recalling the verse from Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Crane later said, every time you apply God's word to your life, it works out perfect. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters with our cadre of Christ-confessing Concordians, Layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Meridensky, Pastor Peter Hill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host. A reminder that you can call in and interact with us, 1-800-730-2727, or on the social media at kfuo.org, as well as email kfuo at kfuo.org. And we have a caller, Cheryl from Indianapolis, Indiana. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I've been wanting to call this in ever since uh, uh, Sharper Iron was working on uh, the Gospel of Luke, and they got to Luke 17. And it so- sort of fits with uh, the true, repentant- true repentance produces good works, uh, where it says, be forgiving. Um, but uh, um, in Luke 17, uh, there's a similar account in Matthew 18, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, uh, but he says, um, uh, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Um, In Matthew, it says, if your brother sins against you, um, uh, speak to him in private, and then um, if he listens, then you've gained your brother. But the, the account in Luke is the one that I'm, I'm wondering about because if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. It, it almost sounds like if he repents, that's important, and then, that, then you forgive him, but maybe... Yeah. Well, that's I, not what it's saying, so that's why I'm asking. <laughs> well, no, I, th- I think it, it is very direct in what it's saying there. And, and I remember even back in my confirmation days, the simple way that this was taught to me is, is that these things are rescue missions. What's at stake? And, and so I always have the picture in my mind of, you know, uh, someone walking towards a cliff. And I go up and I rebuke them. You know, a blind person especially uh, helps makes this image, right? They don't know that they're heading towards a cliff. And so I go up and I rebuke them and I say, hey, you are going towards danger. Repent, turn and go another direction. That's literally what repent means. And so uh, it's definitely a rescue mission. And so when when it says when scripture says uh, and, and it says it all all throughout scripture, really, this nature of it is that, uh, you know, when when a person comes in repentance, you have won them, you have gained them, you have literally saved them from the peril that they are heading towards. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think this is very much connected to it. And, and, and this 
kind of simple image that I'm giving, the good work that follows is is that they go a direction that's not leading to their peril. Uh, I'm going to throw it to Pastor Ill to jump in. Nope, Layman Slayton's <laughs> jumping in. Then we'll get to Pastor. Ill. Well, just a, just a question because I'm uh, as I'm looking at the Matthew 18 text and the Luke 17 text, there there is a difference in the brother in in each of these texts and i don't know if maybe this is part of part of your question cheryl in matthew 18 as it's progressing through this brother who has sinned against you the end result is a brother who is unrepentant and so the conclusion that you get to where you know have nothing to do with them is is a brother who does not repent the difference in luke 17 here is is a brother who he's repeatedly sinning against you but He's also saying, I repent every time. And so the command is, forgive him. He is repenting. Whereas in Matthew 18, the situation is different. This is an individual who is not repenting. And so the command to forgive is not there because they're not repenting. I, may, I don't know if that's where you're going with your question, Cheryl. But going on from there in Matthew 18, we do end up also with right after the go speak to your brother, uh, then you have Peter say, well, how many times do I need to forgive my brother if he sins against me? As many as seven times, yeah. which starts to sound a lot like this Luke passage. And in the Matthew text, it says either 70 times 7 or 77, depending on your, your Greek grammar multiplication tables, I guess. Um, it's above my pay grade, just a pastor. <laughs> but nonetheless, you are to So not doctors or mathematicians. I do social correct. media, not math. Yeah. Uh, but you are to repeatedly forgive your brother. I think that something else important about this question, though, is... Both Luke 17 and Matthew 18 are talking about our forgiveness for our brother. And so it has this kind of a, a horizontal uh, aspect to forgiveness where of another Christian, for me as a Christian to forgive another Christian, as opposed to, I think, here in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, we're talking about in order for you to be forgiven by God, what do you need to do? You need to repent of your sin and that's it you don't have to show god that you're uber duber serious and how many times do we want to put a law on our fellow christians and say no you need to do something for me so that i know that you're really sorry reminds U- me of when uber I was duber little... serious i believe is a technical term you used yes it is you need uber to do duber serious yeah you need to do something to show me that you're uber duber serious there we go and i remember being you know a little kid and my my sister would do something and and she'd wrong me and she'd i'm sorry and i would say no say it like you mean it yeah because because that's really important uh, when you're four. Uh, I got five kids and I watch them do that. Uh, yeah. I do that. It's right. like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I think like, a lot of people do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have this kind of natural, sinful inclination to, to doubt uh, repentance and so forth. I, I mean, as an adult, we still do this, as, as we can definitely all well, test. I, I want the other person... My my idea of repentance, and let, let me say this, my, my sinful idea of repentance is I want to make sure you feel as bad as possible. Maybe even worse than I felt when you did that thing to me, I want to make sure you feel really, really, really bad. So then I can feel justified in myself that, ah, that's okay, they feel worse than I do. Therefore, we we are now reconciled. I, that's where we end up taking this kind of idea of, of satisfactions. And now we're putting that on God. And we're saying, yeah, that's actually what God requires of you, too. 
And yet it's a matter of being selfless when we forgive someone of not trying to uh, get payback from them for what they've done to us. When we forgive, we are letting it go. We are loosing it. And even um, when I've talked to people who think or who talk about Christians having kind of a I'm better than you attitude about being saved versus someone that's not saved or something. It's like, no, it should be a matter of I love you and I care for you and I'm pursuing you and going after you because of the blind example. You know, like you're in danger and I care about you. And even, you know, when we see this uh, uh, example here of let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector in Matthew 18, there are people I know that go to, okay, then shun them. It's like, well, acknowledge that they're not part of this uh of this community of Christ. But at the same time, what did Jesus do with the, the gen, the tax collectors and Gentiles? He went and had dinner with them. He pursued them. He loved them. He cared for them. It wasn't a matter of hate them and get them out of the way, but acknowledge that they are not part of this group, but you continue to love them and be selfless and care about them. Yeah. I, I want to pause for a second. And first of all, thank Cheryl for calling in Indeed. and, uh, Yay, th- this, uh, has brought, uh, some good discussion here. Um, but, uh, continue on. I, I mean, is it a fair kind of summary then to say that the, the definite connection between forgiveness between a brother and, and this would, would definitely be of, you know, kind of this, how, how do I show my repentance. And I think that's kind of where this is flowing forth in the apology of the Augsburg confession. We talk about it comes out of that article on repentance. Uh, you know, this was not, I mean, this is 12 B. It was all one thing in the Augsburg confession. And so, um, yeah, and I think you guys have, have, uh, brought up an interesting point here of that, you know, when it, when it, Uber duber. Yeah. Becomes, uh, you know, on my Uber duber seriousness of, of it, right? Um, well, then this this really leads to something really quite dangerous, right? Is not even just a, a, a not acknowledgement that Christ and his satisfaction upon the cross is not enough, right? But then it, it definitely turns God the Father into this burden that you can never live up to. And I think we begin to understand then why God or why Luther had the view of God that he did is just because, you know, under this system, under this theology in practice, um, you know, well, what can I do to please this jerk? You know, is kind of the feeling, you know, and we all know that because, well, as, as we've talked about, you know, we have this tendency to do it to one another. I mean, uh, I, I can know that I, I definitely have demanded others, you know, to be a little more repentant uh, towards me for things that they've done against me. Right. And and you see how that works out just on the human level of, you know, well, then I, don't, I want nothing to do with this jerk because, you know, nothing, nothing, you know, will restore the relationship. And we see it go the other way, too, in our in our human relationships. And if we turn God the father into that. Well, then I just never have any peace for my conscience. And yet how beautiful is that, that in the church, I I know I heard a statistic not too long ago that people outside the church were asked, like, if you went through something major in your life, what would, would you go to a church? And people said, yeah. And then people that were in a church and were asked, you know, if something really major happened to you, would you tell the people in your congregation? were like, I don't know. I I don't know how I deal with that. It's like, no, the church is the one place that you have forgiveness that you can actually find that peace. And it should be a beautiful place. You know, whatever someone is going through that they would be able to bring that to their brothers and sisters in Christ and hear that forgiveness proclaimed to them and actually have it be able to be wiped away. You know, they might have 
consequences for whatever's happened. But, um, you know, even I've been going through Second Corinthians with our high school Bible study at our church, and one of the things that Paul talks about is, you know, your brother has sinned, you know, and he has sinned against all of us, not to lay it too thick on him, but at the same time, give that forgiveness. Don't don't push him away because of what he's done, you know, but bring him closer. And in that repentance and that, that theology, that beautiful theology that we have of grace and not needing to have you prove it, you know, that you're really sorry, but being able to say, I forgive you and being able to bring people together. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. And, and the beauty that we have, especially in the Lutheran church is, is that Jesus proves it and, and that he gives us certain gifts that we can look to and trust. And so here I'm going to kind of segue us into the next article, actually, um, because I, I believe this is the beauty of the sacraments for us. Right. Is that, you know, when, when we're struggling with, you know, have I been repentant enough? You know, do I really mean it? Uh, does God really accept it? Well, he's given us his word, which is always trustworthy and true to tell us that there are places that we can go uh, where he offers this free forgiveness. And um, and so Article 13 then uh, is titled the number and use of the sacraments. And, and so the sacrament issue definitely ties in here. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump in and read this a little bit. This, more. this isn't going to be a problem for the non-mathematicians of us in here, right? Well, we're talking number about numbers. It's small yeah. numbers. And we're, you yeah, don't even we're, have to take off your shoes. But for we're this. questioning okay. Okay. which numbers there no, are real. I don't know if I can do that. We'll be all right. If we have to use the imaginary numbers, I have a problem. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll walk us through <laughs> okay. it. We'll, okay. we'll get through this together. Don't worry. The sacraments numbers. are real. It's the numbers that are imaginary, right? Right, right, right. Okay, yes. I'm okay with that. Okay. Sacraments real, numbers, we don't know. <laughs> and, and let's not get too derailed before we actually get into the article. Okay, fine. Uh, and, and Studio dad. Uh, because we definitely... <laughs> We definitely want to uh, uh, assure the readers that it's it's not even really about the numbers, but we'll see that if we actually read the article. So can I go ahead and read the article? Wait, yes. I'm right. confused. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me get bold and heavy on you with my bold and heavy coffee. All right. All right. Article 13, the number and use of the sacraments. In Article 13, the adversaries approve our statement that the sacraments are not just marks of profession among people, as some imagine. Rather, they are signs and testimonies of God's will toward us. That's beautiful. I just love that. I mean, that, that was kind of where I was segueing us in there, right? Is that you know, this is the, the, the sign and testimony of God's will towards us. This is how we know that Christ's satisfaction upon the cross really is for us. All right. Really important clarification, yep. though, because our English speaking listeners will hear signs yeah, yeah, and absolutely. testimonies and they'll think, oh, that's like a symbol, right? But when we read, say, in Exodus, and in Luke, it talks about the signs and the wonders that God does in through Moses, through Christ, uh, and so on. And so this signs and wonders, signs and testimonies kind of language points to divine action that really happens with God's authority. Yeah, and, and, and to jump on to this great point, I, thank you for that clarification. I think First Peter 3 makes this wonderfully clear with baptism, one of our sacraments, right? Uh, one of the sacraments is that it corresponds 
responds that to uh, the flood, right? As Noah and his family, eight souls in all, were saved, right, through the waters of um, the flood and everything by being on the ark. Now I'm expanding upon the, <laughs> the scripture text here, right? But, uh, you know, so also baptism now saves you, right? And, and so baptism, it's, as big as the flood is, as wonderful of a sign and a wonder as the flood is, baptism is better. Always when we see these correspondences... It's the ark that delivers you to life. It, you know? Baptism is the ark that delivers you to, to life and to eternal life. Yeah, and... and- Oh, sorry, sorry. I was just going to finish out this thought that, yes, so it, it's corresponding it to something actual that God has done to, to grant salvation, to save, right? And I was just going to say, it's amazing how many times I talk to people about the sacraments that they'll have questions about it or they'll come from a tradition that doesn't suggest that there's anything special about water and everything and bread and wine. And in the conversation... You know, we'll bring up the scripture texts. We'll discuss the some of the normal points that people hit in discussing infant baptism and water and all that kind of stuff. And um, in the end, I, I often get a, well, should this really tear us apart? I mean, scripture just seems to be vague that we could both come to different answers. So therefore, it shouldn't really be something that we like get torn apart over. It's like, this is like huge. Like either either it's just a symbol or it's washing away your sins. Either Christ's body and blood is forgiving your sins or you just have happy remember time every once in a while. Either you know, baptism like, now saves you or it doesn't. Right. Exactly. I mean, so it it's it's a huge deal and it's not something that is I mean, uh it's not something that is unanswerable, which is often is what I grew up thinking at times of, well, it is just kind of vague. And I know I was in that side of thinking, eh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, either it is or it isn't. And the more you study scripture, the more you look at how God works in this world and how he has continued to work in this world is, yeah, he works through means. He attaches his promise to things. And it's not that it's our work. It's just his promise and his gifts to us. Yeah. Try telling the people of Israel that, the, you know, it's not such a big deal that they walked across on dry land through the Red Sea. Right. And then that uh, the waters crushed over Pharaoh's army and killed them all right. and, and provided salvation. It is not that big a deal. God, God didn't really do that. You know, sh- you should really just trust your feelings about how you feel about God in this sense. <laughs> and how were their feelings then? Well, we would have been better off in Egypt. I mean, they were, yeah. they were overwhelmed by the situation. Well, and even the, the and bites, so what God actually serpents. does. Yeah. yeah. What God actually does. I mean, yeah. there's so many of these right. connections and what goes on. So, so if we're talking about feelings, I also want to add, and we're talking about symbols. I'm, I'm going to label this things that trigger Lutherans. <laughs> Where we were like, that Trigger. makes us feel angry, scared, whatever. The the whole idea that baptism is a symbol. This this is triggering to us. If you're ever engaged in any online discussion, you'll you'll discover really quick if you tell a, a Lutheran, yeah, baptism, it's just a symbol. Okay, yeah, you're gonna you've already seen us all of a sudden get animated. Boom, look at that. But here's the thing, as Lutherans... I thought that was because of the bold and heavy coffee. Well, that too. Yeah. I, I actually have also started drinking it, so you've noticed, you know, I'm... Welcome my to energy the dark side. Is, yes. Anyways, but here's the thing. We tend to get triggered by it, but we don't actually have to, because we can take... When somebody says to us, well, baptism is a symbol, we can say, yes. The difference is we don't stop there. You know, most people say, you know, if, if they're coming from an evangelical background what they mean is it's only a symbol and they may actually say it's only a symbol but we can actually agree with baptism being a symbol what we don't agree is that that's all it is 
there, we, there's actually more to this. And so I think we have to be careful in our in our getting triggered that we don't all of a sudden start trying to defend just baptism itself, but that we actually bring into, well, let's go to First Peter 1, where it actually talks about this Jesus guy and his resurrection. And then when it comes up again in chapter 3, it's tying the baptism to this Jesus guy and his resurrection. And, oh, well, this isn't just a symbol thing. There's There's more going on here, too. This is really cool. Our confessions regularly talk about the Lord's Supper and baptism as symbols, but not as being symbolic or not being only symbols. These are symbols that convey to us God's grace with the water in a way that we don't understand. With the bread and the wine comes Jesus' body and blood in a way that we don't understand. We don't have to understand it, but we can simply confess this is a symbol that God has given that conveys the forgiveness of sins that washes away our sins that gives us new life that is the water the washing of rebirth and regeneration and so that's exactly where we go with that we say yeah these are these are symbols but not only symbols yeah and and i want to back up and read this again rather they are signs and testimony of god's will toward us and then i stopped there but i should have finished one one sentence more through them god moves hearts to believe and and this is what baptism, this is what the Lord's Supper, this is what the absolution, uh, and maybe, you know, some other things or maybe less things. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second, how many there are. But uh, the, these are the things in which God acts to move our hearts to believe. And, and I think this is what we're talking about here. So, so one thing I find very interesting as we begin this article, one of the things that I've tried to be more intentional about not only as I'm reading the confessions, but even as I'm reading scripture itself, is asking myself, okay, what is the question being addressed? What is the issue being addressed? And in this one, when they start off with, the sacraments are not just marks of profession among people. The first thing I think is, oh, is that what the adversaries are defining them as? that the sacraments are marks of profession among people. So I, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's interesting that Melanchthon starts off with that because it's like, okay, what exactly is he responding to? Because that is, if I understand what he's responding to, that's going to help me put into context the rest of this article as he's reacting against something. What is this thing? And I'm I'm wondering if that sentence gives a little bit of an indication of what he's responding to. I, do you guys have any thoughts on that, or am I way off in left field? Well, I know we'll get to a point where he talks about the Anabaptists and stuff. That he's kind of hitting both ends of the spectrum. The, oh, the, okay. The Roman Catholics that were, or the, the Roman Church that was saying, you know, this is here's this work, here's all these sacraments, and then the other side that was like, we'll throw the baby out with the bathwater, it's not magical, there's nothing happening, it's just totally symbolic, you know, and trying to deal with both sides of it, is saying, gotcha. no, don't go too far, the, what, what do you call it, the... Um, uh, it, uh, what do you call that? The truth the, is in the middle. Well, no, not just that, but um, the extreme reformationists or wait, what's that term? That Schwermerei, the buzzing bees. Well, that too. Oh. But, no, I was trying to think of another word, but I can't think of what it is right now. But the people that went further than just let's get back to scripture, but like took it to the next level oh. of saying it's just symbols and that kind of thing. I was trying to think of what the term was I've heard before, but I'm thinking of it wrong in. Stuber Some Uber Uber. Yeah, your mind is too dizzy for me to read. I don't. People. I don't drink coffee, and so I'm just kind of. I apparently am not. You're neither heavy nor bold. And, yeah, right oh, now. Bummer. I'm trying I've to got read pre-coffee water for me, so that's all. Oh, so. all right. <laughs> well, and and 
And so what I want to say here, too, is that I don't intend to go much deeper into this article. Radical Reformation. That's what I was thinking Yeah, there we go. There we go. Going way Mm -hmm. the other way. There we go. Yeah, and once you say it, then we're all all with you. Yeah. But One second I couldn't be understood. And everyone's like, oh, that totally makes sense. <laughs> well, now you're speaking our language. It'd be really helpful if you just knew your words when we're live on radio. But uh, anyway, no, uh, getting back to the to the thought here that I was saying is that uh, I don't intend to go much deeper in this. I mean, to, to set it up, yeah, uh, you got on the one side the Roman Catholics who number their sacraments of seven, and we're going to talk about that. And then uh, they'll, they'll talk about, too, the Anabaptists and those uh, of the Radical Reformation and things like that that are on the other side. Where there um, are no sacraments. Right. And there are ordinances, things that we yeah. do by profession of faith, right? And and we've made the point here many times, too, that, uh, you know, th- this would definitely include what we call general American evangelicalism. A lot of your churches that are non-denominational are, are of that theology as well. And so, yeah, they, they don't hold any... Um, that, that the sacraments do anything. They don't actually hold any sacraments. They just um, call them ordinances, things that they do because Christ ordained them. And, and, and a, you'll see that on, on their church websites. You yeah. go to a church and go to their statement of faith. Ordinance is a very, very common word that that will be used for that. So we're, we're not just, you know, putting up straw men here. We're, we're using the actual language that is used. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's definitely a part of their theology that they just simply do it because Christ said to do it, but they don't think it actually does anything. And so then what this leads to is just this sort of tension of why I brought this connection in and why I even kind of started this is because what are the good works that we're looking to? What is it that we we have any trust in uh, to know that satisfactions of sins, that we have peace with God, is actually there? You have on the one hand the Roman Catholic Catholics who might point you to the sacraments and so forth, um, but they're they're going to point to these good works, indulgences, giving money to the church, and and again, all of these things can be very pious, very beneficial. I mean, I myself say, you know, if, if you want to know how God feels about you, if you want to have peace with God, you know. Uh, Go to the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, and so, you know, I may point to those things as well, but I'm not going to make it a, a command of, well, you got to take the Lord's Supper this many times or you're not really forgiven. You know, well, now we've we've added to what Christ has done and given to us in the Supper. Um, and and then on the other side, you have this, you know, kind of vacuous, you know, emptiness of of I, I don't have anything tangible to to cling to, and so they naturally kind of go to their feelings and things like that, right? Uh, whereas ultimately, what we're pointing to is that there's something tangible, there's something real. Christ has accomplished all of this and what He has done on the cross, and He drives us to find comfort in the peace that He gives us. Here's my body, here's my blood, right? Your baptismal waters indeed cover you, and so. Uh, I guess I'll leave you with this thought here as we wrap up today. I kind of talked over you guys uh, at the end here, but uh, um, if if you want to know where you have satisfaction for your sin, if you want to have peace with God and have comfort in that, look for it in exactly where Christ tells you to find it in his word. He says, this is my body, this is my blood. That's the Lord's Supper. He says, baptism now saves you. That's the comfort of the gospel that you have. When your pastor speaks to you on behalf of Christ and says, I forgive you all your sins, your sins are loose. You are forgiven, not because the pastor's uber duber serious about it or not because you're uber duber serious about your repentance. It's because Christ himself has forgiven you your sins. Find your comfort there. And, uh, want to thank you for stopping by today and listening to the show. Uh, until next time, keep confessing church.